Welcome back to the Bearcat Bounce Podcast, BBP. Back at it again, Brent Young, Aaron Smith, and Aaron, well, what? another win, but we've got a lot to unpack. How are we? Better than James Wiggins. Whew. Explain. Um, I mean, he's injured. We don't know what the caliber of that injury is, but we did see him in street clothes, and that's never a good sign. <laughs> well, I, I will say Luke sounded Luke Fickle sounded a little uh, a little positive, a little optimistic about that injury. But like we always say, it's above our pay grade here at Bearcat Journal. Um, yes, sir. So uh, best of in hopes that he will be able to come back. But injuries definitely were a big question leading into the game on Saturday. Mainly, I hate to say it, for Houston, they were without their best offensive player, two of their best defensive players. Um, they uh, a, a team that was kind of reeling coming in when you lose that many Big time players who can actually do something against a team like Cincinnati. It's going to really put you behind the eight ball immediately. But you mentioned it. Very first series, one of the very first plays, James Wiggins down with an injury. That is after Arquan Bush ruled out, who is one of the top cover corners in the conference. Correct. And then Alec Pierce also out on the offensive side. Bruno LaBelle is still out. And yep. Still, Cincinnati walked away with a 38-10 to 10 victory. Yep. And it is just something along the lines of, uh, you know, wow. They continue to roll this game. Even Coach Fickle spoke about it in the postgame presser. He said a little bit more mundane is what some people called it. But he said that's the way they want to win games. That's the way they are focusing on winning games is just wearing teams out and pulling out victories. But, Aaron – James Wiggins and Arquan Bush out in that first opening drive on the defensive side in steps Javon Hicks, who everyone is very familiar with, yes, as sir. well as Brian Cook, who had himself a fantastic game. They did, uh, both of those guys. I mean, they you look up and you're seeing one or the other on a, almost all over the place, like literally, like they're just ball hawks, both of them. And it was, it was good to see, you know, next guy up. We didn't really miss a step with Wiggins being down. Again, one more game, only giving up one more score. You right. know, we're not giving up touchdowns. And even with the second string out there, while Houston continued to run their first string, we didn't miss a beat. Yeah. I, you know, let's let's break down the game like we always do. But, you know, there's so much more extracurricular going on outside of just this game. So we're going to try and breeze through this one a little bit because, honestly, uh, you know, well, let's say it like this. We normally take two halves to break down the full game, but but we're going to kind of roll with what the Bearcats did on Saturday and kind of just take one full half to cover everything. Maybe <laughs> even like one full half and, and have a really long segment around the third quarter just to wrap it all up. What do like you think? Like seven, 17 things that we have to say? Yeah, something along those lines. We'll kind of break it down like that. Just a, you know, right before you, you get to 18, you, you settle for a – for a three-pointer instead of a seven-pointer, something along those lines. But Seems I digress. Like Take a look at what they were able to do defensively. Both players go down. You would kind of think, okay, now it opens up the door for Houston to get things rolling. Brian Cook, a couple of good tackles. And then the offense gets the ball back. We'll get the ball for the first time. And then this is the beginning of a career day for one Jared Dokes. Yeah, he had that 72-yard run. And then two plays later, he punches in touchdown starts to tone off right. I mean, we hit the ground running, literally. 
you know, and the thing about Jared Dokes is this. I think like Michael, uh, Michael Warren kind of was able to follow his blockers to a premium and then find a hole and then just, just wear defenses down, picking up big yardage. It seems as if Dokes kind of has that second level where he is able to kind of hit the hole with a little bit of burst, not quite the burst of Jerome Ford, but you saw on that 72 yard run, he hesitated for a second, found his crease and then just burst through. He didn't have that breakaway speed to kind of, you know, score a touchdown, which Chad actually asked Dokes in the press game post post game press conference. He said, were you a little frustrated that you got, got hawked down? And of course, Dokes says, no, I scored two plays later, which is, you know, <laughs> but anyway, Dokes well, big run there. It wasn't yeah. DK Metcalf. I mean, let's no. put it that way. No, no. And plus, he, he didn't have a full head of steam. He wasn't yards and yards ahead of everyone. But he was able to score there. And then the defense on both sides really kind of clamped down after that. The whole rest of the first quarter leading into the second quarter was just nothing. Neither team could get anything going. I, I mean, if you think about it, the only true thing that came out of it was James Smith got his third touchback in his career of punting at the University of Cincinnati. Aaron, tell me something that, you know, 218 times that you do it, a touchback is not a good result that you want to have. And James Smith just did it for the third time in 218 tries. I feel like it's almost comparable to the Joey Votto stat where he has never popped up to the first baseman. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was kind of what it reminded me of when they threw that stat out there. And, you know, it's James Smith has been, he's been a beast for us. There's a reason that he's put in the punter of the year conversation year in, year out. And this is at least his second year, if not third year, being yep, considered. Third year, Ray Guy Award. Yep. So, I mean, he's, he's done all the right things here at the University of Cincinnati and he's just a huge character guy. Yeah, it, well, the craziest thing is that it, it should not have even been a touchback. I mean, that thing hit at about the eight, took another bounce, and then rolled into the end zone. And the coverage guy was just – he was like 15 yards away from it, the wrong way. I feel like the soccer turf knows that it's on its last leg, and so the ball was bouncing kind of wonky all day. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't the first time that it bounced funny, and right. you know, it wasn't the last time that it bounced funny. So, uh, I mean, yeah, good, good, good use of reference on the uh, little soccer there. But uh, au revoir, as they say for all you football fans, French there. The yeah. rest of us just say peace out. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I was referencing France because I believe 2018 World Cup champions. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not a big football guy, but I am a football guy. And in the second quarter, when the Bearcats were able to get the ball back after a punt from Houston, they finally staged their second scoring touchdown drive of the game. And it came by way of Desmond Ritter getting back on, on track. And, you know, Des kind of missed a couple of throws in the first quarter. One, I kind of remember a deep ball to Jordan Jones that kind of seemed like he led him a little bit too much. And then, of course, the drop pass by Sean Jackson on the outside probably would have been an easy walk-in touchdown. But either way, you look back, and, and this is the Desmond Ritter that we have come to know where he stages this nice 10-play, 75-yard drive where he mixes in heavy pass and heavy run, and then he is able to cap it off 
with 10 yard rush of his own where he kind of just finds a crease and has the deceptive speed that we talked about last week. This is the Desmond Ritter that we were talking about though, at the beginning of the year where we weren't seeing him on his legs. We weren't seeing him run for those first downs. I mean, it wasn't, he had, he did earlier in the drive end up getting a first down on his legs uh, mm-hmm. before the, before he started to actually look comfortable in the pocket, hitting those short and intermediate passes that he's much better at hitting in a more consistent vibe than he is as far as stretching the field, to be quite honest. But right. I mean, you even had Jared Dokes with that crazy one-handed catch on yeah. that same drive. How did uh, it look on TV? It looked fantastic. Uh, it was on fourth down, mind you. It did extend the drive out. So, yep. you know, it wasn't just Ritter doing it on his legs. He just found his, his sweet spot, if you will. And he mm-hmm. kind of did what we have been talking about all year long prior to SMU and Memphis to where Des needed to get going on his legs. And he, he did just that. Yeah. And, and we saw a couple of times on this drive as well. It, and I'm just going to call it the Josiah DeGuara play where, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, run pass option and he's rolling out with, with whether it be Leonard Taylor or whether it be Josh Wiley, just kind of right in front of him. And he can either elect to to toss it out to Wiley or Taylor, or he can tuck and run. And you saw him with a couple of completions to both Taylor and Wiley, but holding it and running it in for the touchdown there. And then after that, Aaron, the floodgates opened up for one of the crazier finishes to a first half that I have ever seen. Uh, You know, so you look at that touchdown and then immediately Houston comes back, completes their their greatest drive of the game highlighted by that 34 yard Bryson Smith catch and Bryson Smith has the last name of Aaron Smith. So I was just really confused why you didn't put the bad juju on your fellow name friend and kind of, you know, make it. So when the ball popped back up in the air, it didn't go right back to his hands. There's entirely too many of us for me to try and spread all the bad juju (laughs) around on all the bad Smiths. (laughs) There's, there's just way Look up in the phone book if there's still such a thing. Uh, how many Smiths are in there? But uh, I think they make a separate phone book just for the last name Smith. I think it's quite possible. I don't know. I've been unsubscribed to phone books for quite some time now. But and I think I can jump over that one too. Maybe. <laughs> I guess my question to you though is: Were you more disheartened by the 34-yard pass that we gave up on that drive, or the fact that the defense was not set up for two straight plays at yep. the goal line? Because to me. Freeman had to have been embarrassed at that more so than on the 34 yard play. Cause you'll give up a, a, a long play at some point to this Houston offense, but to not be set for two straight plays yeah. in the red zone at the goal line was completely inexcusable to me. And Aaron, one of those was a fourth down. I, it was a fourth and two conversion after that long pass from two Bryson Smith was a third and one conversion then, you, like you said, it, the defense just was simply not set. It, w- it was a very weird feeling on that one. And, and that was kind of the only time that I really started to feel a little uneasy about the game. Because coming into this one, a lot of people could think, okay, this could be the letdown game after two big wins against Memphis and SMU. Is this the defense kind of just saying, okay, I know that the other 10 players on this field are very good. So if I take this one playoff, something along those lines, because like you said, they weren't set. You know, I kind of was hoping maybe a quick timeout or something on those times because because it looked like Houston was going to a little bit more of a hurry up. 
because yeah. they they normally would have just the receivers would never come into the huddle. It would just be the, the offensive line and the and the quarterback and the running back in the huddle. And then they would break. But on these on the fourth and two, Kyle Porter they lined up quickly. Went to Porter eleven yards. Lined up the defense, like you said, completely not set, and he walked into the end zone. He got lit up by Javon Hicks in the end zone after that, but still, like you said, it's he didn't he didn't even get touched until he was four yards deep after the score. So, yes, that was a little alarming to me, and I kind of looked at it and I was like, okay, this maybe this is just a time where you know they're looking at it, and and there's not you know under five minutes left on the clock in the first half. Maybe they're just hoping to get to the locker room up by 14 to seven and, and be okay knowing that they'll be able to clamp down and really stop him in the second half. Well, and I know that Clayton tune is not Brady white. He's not right. Steve Buchel. Yeah. Uh, but he is, he, he's made a name for himself in this conference. Let's not kid ourselves. They continue to put up over 400 yards of offense. It's not yeah. 550. Don't get me wrong. Right. But you know, it's, it's not Dylan Gabriel, but he is doing something in Houston. And I for- mean, for tune, tune, real quick, Aaron, tune, 330 yards average between passing yards and rushing yards coming mm-hmm. into the game this Saturday, top eight in the nation. So, like you said, not t- type the top tier, but really, really good. But for the defense to literally be on its laurels, not just one play, but for two, again, you know, that was not like anything that any of us have seen out of this defense this entire season, not like that. It just looked – it was disheveled. It looked just completely uncharacteristic of this defense, and I'm really happy they got that cleaned up immediately and that didn't become a theme for this game. And and the thing that I liked the most about it and kind of what Coach Fickle touched on in the press conference after the game was that, you know, they they know that there's going to be adversity throughout each game and throughout the season. But the offense, the defense, and the special teams, all three click so well with each other. There's a brotherhood knowing, hey, if the defense does let up at one point, they believe that the offense has their backs. If special teams gives up a big play, they know the defense could come out and kind of bail them out. So and right on tune with that was the offense then came out, and I thought that Desmond Ritter had one of his better passes in, in his time at Cincinnati, and it was only a 14-yard completion to Josh Wiley on the opening play of the next drive, but it was one where there was a lot of pressure. Now, remember, this Houston defensive front came in fourth in the country in sacks per game. No, pardon me, third in the country in sacks per game with four per contest, and he was getting highly pressured on this. He stepped up in the pocket, had patience, shoveled his feet, and was able to find Josh Wiley for the 14-yard gain and kind of kick-started this drive that they had which finished again with another Desmond Ritter play where he did the same thing, shuffled his feet, stepped up in the pocket, and saw nothing but daylight in front and took it 32 yards for a patented Desmond Ritter rushing touchdown. Passes like that pass to Josh Wiley kind of frustrate me a little bit at times, only because we don't – I don't feel like he looks for Josh Wiley quite enough. Okay. There there aren't enough designed plays for Josh Wiley outside of the end zone where Josh Wiley has been a monster – Yep, we'll get to that. Yep. Uh, correct. But no, I mean, I was definitely encouraged by the fact that Ritter literally looked like he was about to be sacked. I have it here in my notes. Ritter escaped sack for yeah. a massive 32 yard run. I mean, and it yep. wasn't even like a slouch run, it was a third of the football field. So, you know, kudos to Ritter for finding the hole, getting out of that pocket that was collapsing all around him yep. and finding Pater. 
You know what also that is, Aaron? That is the fact that you are getting rushes from the outside and your tackles are able to push them out. And then the three players in the middle, you know, we're talking about Vinny McConnell, Jake Renfro, and Dylan O'Quinn. Those three are doing their job to the point where the, the pocket doesn't completely collapse on top of Dez. And he is able to find that hole, like you mentioned, and burst it through for a 32-yard touchdown. But, and then after that, you would think 21 to 7 with, you know, a minute 40 left on the clock. Okay, defense will hold. We'll go to the locker room up 21 to 7. No biggie, no harm, no foul. But then all of a sudden, Houston goes up and does kind of what Houston did a couple times last year, and they kind of beat the Bearcats over the top on the very first play. This two minutes was the most exciting portion of the entire game. It's crazy. To be completely honest. <laughs> 100% the most exciting portion of this entire game. Uh, but, no, we, we gave up the huge 54-yard pass play, but then defense did what they do. Yeah. And they shut them down, stopped them for only a field goal. Yeah, Clayton Tuntun, Nathaniel Della, it kind of reminded me of some plays last year in the game at Houston where they attacked the deep ball countless times over and over again. But as Chad and Dave mentioned in the BCJ pod last week, those were plays that were going to go for touchdowns last year. Now there are players who are able to stay back deep enough, like a Derek Forrest who tracked down Dell and tackled him at the 11-yard line before he was able to get into the end zone. Players like that who are able to know that other people are going to do their jobs and you can flood and you can pursue and tackle them before they get into the end zone, before it's more of a game that they did. And like you said, hold them to a field goal, which 21 to 10, the score now. Aaron? Almost the exact same scenario as last week. It was 21 to 10 against Memphis right before halftime. And I believe Trey Tucker might have called for a fair catch in the end zone or, you know, just, just went with a touchback in the end zone. And then the team decided to kneel the ball and take it into halftime up 21 to 10. But this time, he Trey, that Tucker, this <laughs> Trey Tucker decides, hey, green light, baby, let's go. He went to midfield. It was, I mean, Trey Tucker. Seven has yards a, deep in his own end zone, too. He he has one of these plays every week where you're just like, oh, there you are, Trey Tucker. I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I mean, it's just like right. every week there's one play where he just goes completely bananas and surprises the hell out of you when you had no idea that he was even capable of moving that fast. And this week it was, last week it was the touchdown. This week it was the kickoff return right here right before halftime which set up another score yeah you know it's, it's kind of weird because he bursts through 45 yards and then what is the very first play of that next drive it's it's a counter it's a counter to jared dokes what what happens because they they had the ball with 31 seconds left in the first half what Ooh, happens if dokes gets trap, tackled for a tackler what it's more of a trap wasn't it yeah, it, it was. It, it looked like he went right first and then cut back left, which kind of had me thinking counter. But yeah, it had the, the blocking scheme was more of a trap. Yeah, right, right. It could have easily been both. But you know, I, I, it, it went through my head. It was like, okay, so what if Dokes gets tackled for a gain of three yards? Are they, they taking take a quick it to time half. out or are they letting it go into halftime? They, they actually, take it to half. they brought that up in the game cast too, uh, in the telecast. And said the same thing that 
you know, if he doesn't get that huge gain, maybe they don't go for it. But because he did, you know, get that huge burst, they went for it. And why wouldn't you at that point? <laughs> Bust off 48 yards following the blocks. And I mean, might, might I say after that run, that was Jared Dokes hitting 166, which was actually his career high. And yep. that came before halftime. I mean, they must have watched a little bit of that UCF tape that, that uh, came out the week before where they literally dog walked Houston up and down the field. Cincinnati did quite the same thing. But and then the it was topped off with a Josh Wiley 50-50 ball where a beautiful play design. I, I love that they do this. Josh is in the backfield, and then they motion him out wide. Quick snap, 50-50 ball up to one of the – you know, I hate to say it, because I, I agree with you, Aaron. Josh Wiley does not get used as much as I think he should. I you you watched that Notre Dame game versus Clemson last week. Sorry, last night, mm-hmm. and they use their tight ends. And Josh Wiley reminds me of a tight end that would be playing for Notre Dame with just that long, athletic, wide radius. Alec Pierce has the same thing, and. You know, even though that 50-50 ball was, in fact, a 50-50 ball, it looked a lot more like it was an 80-20 ball That's with Wiley going up against that. Exactly. And, again, you know, when we're talking about Desmond Ritter struggling with not having a guy out there who can stretch the field, who can go up and get the ball when Alec Pierce is out, why aren't we utilizing more of a guy like Josh Wiley? Uh, just he's massive. He can go up and do that any time of the game, but yet we only do this in the end zone, which don't get me wrong. I love that. That's a a surprise play still, apparently for some reason (laughs) that, you know, it's not going to Wiley. Oh no, it is. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just, I'd love to see him get the ball more in his hand, see what he can do in the open field, especially when we're seeing guys like Kelsey out here with the Kansas city chiefs. And anytime you get him the ball, you never know what he's going to do with it. So I don't know. I'd like to see him have kind of some open dirt to see what he can do. And another player is, is Leonard Taylor. I mean, he is a beast, a literal beast. He looks huge. And then he is athletic. He, he's got great hands. I, I want to see Lenny get the ball a little bit more as well. But, you know, it, this pass right here showed you that when they are in the red zone, they have they probably have a couple of plays. We saw it against USF as well. With, with the jump ball in the end zone for Josh Wiley, kind of the play of the game in that one earlier in the season. So that happens. And then before you know it, you're thinking, okay, let's head into halftime. What do you think? Let's let's go ahead and just kick this ball off with, you know, only, what, under 10 seconds remaining? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the turnover master, Javon Hicks, had different ideas. Yeah, it was a kickoff turnover. We recovered a fumble after Hicks, you know, caused the fumble there by Houston. And uh, we had an opportunity to try and tack on even more points. Unfortunately, Ritter, when he did get it to the end zone, um, it was intercepted. And you hate that that's actually a statistic that goes against him in a game like this. Uh, It's kind of a garbage stat, if you ask me. But um, nonetheless, he was picked off in the end zone. And that's unfortunately the way that the, uh, the half ended rather than tacking another six on, which honestly, at that point, would not have surprised me at all. Aaron, answer this question for me. If you are a Luke Fickle, are you sending Cole Smith out there for the 56-yard field goal attempt? No, absolutely not. 
Really? I'm not. No. I would have done it too. Well, I mean, you have to think of it this way though, too. And I know we're going to get to this conversation a little bit later, but when you're looking at the grand scheme of college football playoffs, you're looking at trying to beat a team by as many points as you can. You're also in the back of your head thinking, does Des have a shot at Heisman? I don't know. Does he? No. Does he? You know, I mean, you, while you're not trying to think about those things, I'm sure some of these thoughts probably at some point drift into your head. So yeah, you want to stack points. I would have tried to stack points too, especially go, what's the difference going in 21-10 versus 24-10 at that point? Yeah, well, it, it would have been 28. 28 I'm 30, sorry. 31, 31, yeah. So, so I'm going for it because – Cole Smith is was a kicker coming out of high school that was highly rated, a, a kicker that was highly sought after, a big-time prospect in the kicking department. I want him to get confidence. And with a, with a made 56-yard field goal, that's going to boost confidence. A missed 56-yard field goal is not going to hurt confidence. It's going to be like, okay, I tried. But if he nails a 56-yard field goal right before half when his team's already up, I don't know. It might do a little bit something for the confidence department after what has been a, you know, a shaky but not really needed start to the season so far for Cole. That's a fair assessment. While I respectfully disagree, again, yeah. I'm trying to run the score up and not, yeah, trying to, not trying to fall into you know trestle ball and things like that because, again, when you're fighting to retain a sixth spot as opposed to – seeding the six and falling to seven right again we'll talk about that later but um yeah i mean i understand where his head's at you got to fight for every bit of respect that you get here in the american conference yeah so and then after that go go to locker room 28 10 everything's kind of coasting las vegas is looking like an idiot and <laughs> before you know it a a drive that would make every army Black Knight fan and every Navy midshipman fan so elated takes place. And that is the 17 play 60 yard drive that ate up nine minutes and 12 seconds. And at times had me literally thinking like, wait, is this still the same drive that we started the second half with? Oh yeah. Yes. It it was that same drive. I did the same thing, by the way, I was on the field wondering is this the second drive of the half? Because yeah. you're looking at the like, clock, and there's six minutes left in the half, and you're like, this can't be so the drive I, that started the half. I went to the ESPN GameCast to double-check and make sure that it was still the same drive. And then the telecast goes on to say, don't forget, this drive started while it was still sunny. Yeah. And yeah. it was, at that point, completely dark. It was crazy. Third and eight conversion on a Desmond Ritter keeper for 11 yards, which explains to you the type of player that Desmond Ritter is. And then a third and four pass complete to Michael Young for 12 yards, keeps the drive alive. Third and seven, Desmond Ritter finds Jayshon Jackson on one of those little inside screens. He takes it up for nine yards to move the chains. Then a fourth and two, Jared. Well, well, first third and two, Dokes no gain. Quickly back up to the line. Fourth and two, Dokes four yards to continue to move the chains. Then on third and eight, they go Dokes again for only three yards, setting up a fourth and five, which they thought about going for, 
instead sent out Cole Smith and he knocks in the 32 yard field goal to cap off one of the longer drives I can remember in Cincinnati Bearcat football history. You sounded so bored, even describing it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it goes into the whole mundane thing that, that coach Fickle spoke about in in the postgame press conference. And, but you know, it's, it's, that's what the team that he wants to build is a team that just really just wears teams out, just knocks them down continuously, just goes at them, just punches them in the mouth. Boom, 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 boom. And that is what that drive was. But Aaron, I think if they opened it up a little bit, they could have just continued moving the ball quickly. But also there there was, it it did seem like the Houston front seven was so locked in in that opening drive of the second half. And it seemed like they were in the backfield a lot, hitting Dez a lot. So in the same sense, maybe those that long drive really just completely took out any hope that Houston had, even though it ended in a field goal. That might have been the final just, okay, we have no chance to ever come back in this game. I mean, there's if, if you're trying to take away something from that, yes, that could very well be it, because they did make some adjustments there at halftime. And at the same time, selfishly, I feel like, I think that's kind of where the the wind blew out of our sail too, because we had been moving the ball at will against this team and we weren't able to do that on this drive. And I think that that's where fickle kind of said to hell with this Des, you're out (laughs) Bryant. You're in Dokes. You're out Ford. You're in. Let's see what we can do with kind of getting some of these guys, some, some reps in a game that, still means something but at the same time we we have pretty much in hand at that point and see if some of these guys can show us what they're made of yeah no i because after that long drive houston didn't do anything you know they picked up one first down that was it uh you know and and then like you said it was kind of just cincinnati having that one final scoring drive where they kind of just put the put the nail in the coffin where for the second straight game desmond ritter completed his final pass in the third quarter, he completed his final pass in the third quarter. He attempted only one pass in the fourth quarter for the second consecutive game. And that was that, by the way, I, I really kind of hate that they brought this play out up 31 to 10 in the fourth <laughs> quarter was the double reverse flea flicker pass where Des had – <laughs> had a, a couple people open. I, you know, I think he should have gone to Lenny. I think he had someone open in the end zone that I saw. But either way, he overshot Lenny on that one for his only passing attempt of the fourth quarter and then said rush it two straight times, 18 yards, 12 yards for the score. But that double reverse flea flicker pass, Aaron, what, what, was, what was going on in the telecast during that? It looked like complete witchcraft, actually. Um <laughs> it didn't look like something that should have even been a legal play. Uh, You know, you kind of had to be like, what the hell did I just see? Uh, But, you know, everything was completely fine. It was, again, you know, I mean, no, I just got done saying that we kind of had the wind out of our sails. And I wonder if that's maybe why they ran this particular play before they threw in the whole second string. Um, But, you know, it just, it seemed like the offense, I'm sure Dokes was tired at that point. I mean, he'd run for almost 200 yards Des had 
close to 100 at that point himself. And know he finished with over 100 yards before that final rushing touchdown that he got on this drive. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're they're playing – and it, the line has to run every time they're running the ball down the field like that anyway. Mm-hmm. So everyone's kind of playing dog tired at that point. So I don't know. I mean, when, you're, when your game plan revolves around the run game as much as it did at this point, we ended up with, uh, I think, 300 and, what, 342 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's right. So we end up with 342 yards rushing. A great game on the ground. But, yeah, these guys are going to be tired at that point. So later in the game, maybe you do see guys trying to catch that that wind. So I don't know. That was just how it looked to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they get the score. And yet again, it was another Desmond Ritter play where he could have thrown the football and said he just keeps it again. You know, Des is – we're starting to see the player in Desmond Ritter that is making it known in his brain that he can rush for six to 12 to 20 yards on every play. It just is, it, it's a matter of how much patience he has. It's a matter of how quickly he can go through his reads, but his strides and his speed and his ability to get from, from one point to the other is so quick. It's, it's crazy to see how, you know, these runs where he is just holding it and keeping it around the edge, I I can't really recall many other players, even running backs that just have that ability to like, okay, there's the corner. I know I can get there faster than anyone else. And he just takes it. And I, it's impressive to see how fast he can get there. And if he's able to get his deep ball down, maybe it happens as the, the latter half of this season continues, or maybe, maybe it's next year, but it's his, his intangibles that he's showing that just really has to make a lot of NFL teams kind of say, hey, this guy's very interesting. Let's take a deeper look at Desmond Ritter. As you say that, the player that I'm reminded of a little bit and watching him, and while he doesn't have the same quite the same touch, I don't believe, um, I'm reminded a little bit of Terrell Pryor, who seemed to be able to kind of hit those corners as quickly as Des does. Um, I think Terrell probably scrambled out as he was a little bit more run first mindset than than Dez is um but I think Dez is kind of finally starting to find his groove for the first time this season he's put back to back to back to I mean he's finally doing it and again you know I keep thinking about the beginning of the season when we're like when is Dez going to be Dez and between between the bye week and the coronavirus week that we had off I think we're finally seeing Dez being Dez and it's it's a fantastic thing he go, he finishes with over 100 yards on the ground again, three touchdowns, four total touchdowns. Passing was off on a couple, but still another just four touchdown day, which when you're saying that for your quarterback and you're kind of just saying it like, oh, you know, he, he, he missed a couple here and there, but he still finishes with four touchdown passes and probably four total touchdowns. That's, that's a great day. But the rest of the way, as you mentioned, Ben Bryant in a quarterback for Cincinnati, couple of runs for Jerome Ford and Ryan Montgomery. But kind of the, the main thing was first the the tipped drill, the tip drill, calling on all you Nelly fans out there, from Brian Cook, intercepted by Derek Forrest. And then the transition from Pony Boy to Stallion. Young Ty Van Fossen looks like an absolute beast in the making. Yeah, I mean, I know we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I I do award him my defensive game ball. Um, I think he had a fantastic game. I think both on special teams and on defense, he was all over the place, and it it was very encouraging to see 
the sophomore kind of showing out and, you know, making sure that he was high energy, even through the end of the game and some of the doldrums of what was a very boring second half right. altogether. So, uh, no, it was good to see Van Fossen kind of just, like I said, show out and show out well. You know, you, you think about it next year, both safeties, and, and we'll obviously talk about this a lot later, but both safeties going, you saw Hicks and Brian Cook play very well. The the linebackers, all seniors, you saw Ty Van Boston really stepping up. Ingle was out there playing well, of course. You know, Huber also out there. And the thing about Van Fossen is you watch games on Sunday in the NFL, and these these linebackers and these safeties, are they just have the ability – to when they when they get a hold of someone, they wrap them up and tackle them immediately. It's just like the the, the overall strength, the upper body strength to just wrap someone and immediately bring them down. And it looks like Ty Van Fossen has that as a sophomore, where he just when he wraps someone up, it looks like there's no doubt in my mind that player is going down. I'm excited to see what Stallion can bring the rest of the way, and I also love the nickname Stallion. But Aaron, game ends. After a rather dull, it, you know, I, I rewatched the highlight package, you know, one of those long ones that's about 15 minutes long. Yeah. And the, the last play that they showed before they shook hands and the game finished was with seven minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. That was <laughs> the last highlight play that they showed. Well, and I know everybody's kind of been wanting to see Ben Bryant, and we saw Ben Bryant in what was essentially garbage time of this game. He was playing with the other second stringers as well. It wasn't like he was out there with the first stringers. Um, but he, there was nothing to talk about. It, there was, it, it was a very boring finish to what amounted to a very boring second half. And, you know, if you want to be that number six team, like I was talking about earlier, I think you got to beat a team by a 50 burger. And, you know, that's why BYU is still in this conversation as who's the better group of five team. Is it BYU or is it UC? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, I mean, mean I have to correct. I, have I know, to correct I know. Somebody they're, will. They're, not, they're not group of five. I know, but people are still out here having that conversation. They are independent. Yes. They are not. I understand. To be, to be, to be group of five, you have to be in a, conference which is the entire comedy of the the conversation on twitter like oh is byu gonna get in the bowl game over uc no they're not it's not even the thing but i mean there's 24 7 national writers that are unaware of this so zinger zinger got him rusted (laughs) but aaron real quick it sounds like things to work on maybe running up the score i agree with you on that one yeah. game balls give me offense and defense game balls well like i said i got a uh, van fossen there at, at the defensive end on the mm-hmm. offensive end i went with dokes it was a career day for dokes yeah. um i know that he didn't have three touchdowns like ritter did but it, i don't think it was ritter's best game so if i'm giving a game ball i'm giving it to dokes if i'm go- i'm going defense brian cook i thought that you know, that guy wants to hit. He is out there to hit, hit, hit. And he did it the, the very first two plays that he was out there. He came through and he was able to to get two tackles on that opening drive immediately when he was brought in for Wiggins. It kind of seemed like they were targeting him fresh out on the field. Came up with two quick tackles and continued fantastically throughout the rest of the game. A team high nine tackles tied with Jarrell White. And then, of course, I... On offense, I'm going to do do that thing that, that people always kind of scowl at, and I'm going to go with 
James Hudson, Vinny McConnell, Jake Renfro, Dylan O'Quinn, Darius Harper. There you go. You're talking about yards. Yeah, man, I get it. You you're talking about containing a a front line for Houston that was third in the country with four sacks per game. They gave up zero, and then they get that 342 rushing yards, which is just the highest that it has been this season for the Bearcats, and of course the highest that Houston has allowed. And it, you know, it's it kind of also just awesome to see just domination. And they did have oh, and zero holding penalties as well. A shout out to someone on the board mentioned that. But they, there was one false start on Jake Renfro, I believe maybe one other false start. But it seemed like for the whole entire game they were again locked in, and just just a great job on the front five. That's that's pretty much what I've got for the game because I know we've got a lot more to talk about what you got, Aaron. Before we go on in the telecast and you're up in the booth, eye in the sky, and I know right. you don't get to hear it. And, you know, I don't know if you go back and watch these games, but huh. as, as that's the only way that I'm able to take these games in right now during COVID. Right. Todd McShay, cocky Todd McShay, yep. got his time on ESPN during this telecast. <laughs> and he was talking about how there are, no prospects on this Cincinnati Bearcat team in his top 200. He claims that the, he went on to say that the difference between us and everyone else around us, as he looked at the two teams that are, were above us in the standings at a uh, five and four, uh, including what Notre Dame and Georgia. And then the two teams below us, which at that point uh, would have been what seven and eight um, Florida at eight. And then who was seven at that point? Seven Florida, and then was it uh, A and M? Either way, uh, whoever it ended up being. Um, but he said that the difference between us, as he looked at all five of those teams, is the depth behind the starters. That's the difference, apparently, that makes a difference for why someone would be a prospect or not. What the hell are you talking about, dude? <laughs> what the starters do has nothing to do with the depth behind them. And then after that, he just went on and on drooling over Zach Wilson and BYU. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on that mess? Because it was, uh, I wanted to turn the TV off at that point. I actually had a couple people text me about that and just how it, it's starting to get to the point where excuses are being made. And, you know, I kind of touched on this last week as well, when the drummings of SMU and the drummings of Memphis and now Houston well, it kind of the devil's advocate side of it is like, okay, well, if I'm a national media member or if I'm someone that that is kind of more for the power five being in the college football playoffs, I can spin this and say, well, look how bad the AAC is. Look how bad SMU and Memphis is instead of look how good Cincinnati is. Well, and don't forget that SMU also slips a spot after a win this week. Right, exactly. And in a win where they were down originally and then they just completely dominated. Well, the rest then, of, the way. of course, we'll talk about that game yeah. when we get around. So, you know, I, I see no bearings to it. Yes, I get the whole it's good to have flair and, and high-level you know prospects, but you look at, at teams, and this Cincinnati team, okay, maybe not right now, but I see some some really good players that could maybe bounce out and, and you could see, like, wow, this, this guy is pretty good. Like, I'm sure Josiah DeGuaro was not on – anyone's top 200 
certainly not as a third round pick. I was shocked when he went that early. Right. But it's, it's once you get past that first round and probably second round, I, I feel like it's kind of teams fall in love with certain players. Who, who is there to say that they're not going to fall in love with, you know, Josh Wiley, Desmond Ritter, you know, who's I'm, sauce is going to be a, a first day pick first or second day pick. And I, Who's not going to fall in love with like a James Hudson, Darius Harper, Jake Renfro down the line? Uh, you know, Sanders. Yeah, my J. Uh, you know, Elijah <laughs> Ponder could could really grade out very strongly for someone. You know, sure, I get it. You want to have these big, you know, high level players, but it should not be an indicator at all for the level of your team, especially when it, it is a team game. And if you can really dominate on all three levels and have a great team and with special teams involved as well, I, you know, like James Smith, one of the best punters in the country, he's not going to be on the top 200, but he changes the game so many ways. Trey well, Tucker, I'm not going to be in the top 200, but he, he affected this game with that kickoff return to end the first half. How many Bearcats are playing in the league right now that either weren't drafted at all mm-hmm. or, you know, he didn't even get on immediately thereafter as far as like, you know, maybe they were a practice squad guy, right. undrafted free agent or, yeah. you know, I mean, but they're still starting in some cases. Yeah. I, I mean, I just like, like Eric, Eric Wilson had an interception today. I, you know, it's, it's interesting to say, but I think it's a, it's a no comment for me because I think that has no bearing to how your team is going to do and how your team should be projected and looked at. The problem here is McShay's a draft guy. Yeah. That's why you don't put a draft guy on a college football broadcast because he doesn't know anything about college football, right? Especially an AAC game. He Well, that's the other problem with, with getting that ABC spot. Yeah. You're getting a power five bias in that that's the games that they normally call. Exactly. So they're going to, they're going to speak from a different perspective. Uh, I thought Blackledge did a great job, and obviously, you know, McDonough is as good as it gets. But I love McShay. the McDonough horde thing that they had towards the end of the game too. That was fantastic. We we've had Dan on the BCJ podcast before. Um, the way it goes at Syracuse is every senior takes a freshman like under their wing in that broadcast school, and McDonough was a senior when Dan was a freshman and Dan was his freshman basically. So the two of them have a very, like very unique, long, nice unique friendship. friendship. And I guess Tariko is in that, I guess Tariko was right before McDonough. So McDonough was Tariko's guy or something along those lines um, where they're all, that's all a really tight knit group, but McShay is speaking from an NFL draft perspective, which, as you're talking about, Brent, has very little to do with with college football. Pretty much nothing. I, I mean, you look at some of these like high level players that just grade out very well as NFL players. Like they're they're on teams that don't really do anything. Yes, your Clemson's and your Alabama's and your Ohio State's will have a bunch of really good NFL draft prospects. But outside of that. I mean, you're not looking at all these players right. that really, truly affect who is good and who isn't good in college football. Not to mention you don't have your pro days yet. You don't have your, 
you know, all of the, the combine stuff and how many guys fly up the boards, especially in some of the lesser conferences at that point in time anyway. Right. Let's go through it. Myjay, Sauce, Wiggins, Forrest, Hudson, Ponder. I'm going defense first. Hmm. Pond, or, uh, Hudson, maybe Harper, possibly. Yep. Wiley. Dokes is going to get a shot. I'll die on the hill for Des. I, I don't know how it tra- – I think – I don't know how it translates for Des um, in terms of – you, you got to be able to hit the deep ball in the NFL. You, you have do. To. You do. And that's that's his biggest problem. So, um, he'll get a shot. Like, he'll yeah. get a look. It's a matter of what he does with it. Right. We're talking, we're talking 10 of 22 guys, basically – I think Renfro will play in the NFL. I think O'Quinn is going to play in the NFL. You want to talk about the difference on this offense the last three weeks? Like, guess what? Yeah. It, it's Those two guys are a prominent part of it. Getting past Dylan O'Quinn is a very difficult job. There's a yep. couple pictures I've got of, you know, the the uh, first Dokes run mm-hmm. and then two of the Ritter runs where O'Quinn is just mauling his guy taking him completely away from the play. There's 10, 11, that's half, half of this roster, half of the starting unit's going to play in the NFL. And that's yeah. not enough talent. Like, give me a break. Shut up, McShay. I know. No, it's, I, and, and plus it's okay. So once you get past, like hey, I said, Dad. the first, first and second round, it's, it is a, it's just who you love and, you know, best available. Like, like you saw like some good, like, DBs from like UConn and Temple and like you know get get like it's like okay UConn and Temple aren't gonna really take over the world just because they have two guys that are in the top two hundred. I mean, does UConn still have a football team? I don't. Yeah, I I I think we have to check with sources on that one. I don't think they do, but you know, there's some there's some UConn fans out there that'll disagree. But anyway. Where? I get why he had to say it because that's what his job is. It's like, you know, bringing on Lenardi to talk about, right? you know, like, Lenardi, what are your thoughts on player X, Y, and B? It'll be like, I don't know, but I think they will slot pretty well as a 10 seed. Just, it was so, just a trash take and it just made me illegitimately angry. Right. And I didn't, I didn't really think that it had any place in the, in the telecast, especially at that point when you go on somehow segueing into BYU and Zach Wilson and, just uh, it just sounded like Charlie Brown at that point. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that. Let's let's go broad view as well as AAC. This past week, AAC, SMU, and Memphis both with come back come from behind wins that would have been terrible for the Bearcats if they were not able to do so, but they were able to. The uh, closer one was that Memphis comeback with two scores in under five minutes, I do believe. Under four, yeah. Under four minutes, yeah. And and then, of course, the SMU game, it seemed like they kind of take, took full control in the second half. Yeah, you know, uh, Brady White continues to put on a show. It looked like they were kind of lost there early in the game. Uh, I think Cincinnati pretty much wrecked their confidence. I believe that even came out at some point, if I'm not mistaken, that they were their confidence was shot. Uh, that may have came out of the uh, the coach's mouth. Um, I don't. If I'm making that up, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. We'll roll with it. 
Um, but in any case, you know, they, they got their legs under them and Brady White did what Brady White does and had another 350 yard day and four touchdowns. And, um, you know, he's, he's just a, he's, it's because he's like 40 playing college ball still, you know, he's yeah. kind of got that, uh, if I could remember the Florida quarterback, um, that would have made a way better joke. Uh, what? The one who played forever. Tim Tebow? No, not Tebow. The other one. Before Rex Grossman. Him. No, another one. And it's the joke's passed. I apologize. <laughs> um, but SMU, you know, they, they Temple was up at half and then Temple Leech. let them Temple let them go on a forty to three run. It was out in insane yeah. um before letting Temple score in garbage time. So yep. no, I mean Buchel is Buchel again. You know you got some upper echelon guys, and I would not be completely surprised if you saw you know Shane Buchel at some point get a look in, in the league. Or um, I, I don't think Holt Nailers is quite there. Dylan Gabriel would be another guy that I wouldn't be surprised if he you know got a right. shot in the league. Um, I think Brady White's time has passed because he's just kind of old. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, he may go for a seventh year since COVID isn't <laughs> costing anyone a year of eligibility. Why not, right? Who, who knows? Set some I, records. But uh, no, it was you know outside of that, you know, you did have the Tulsa Navy game postponed. Um, they they say postponed, it's canceled. Let's call it what it is. There's not enough time to really make that game up with uh, the Tulsa Cincinnati game coming up. Um, right. And I think Navy plays Army uh, to close out the season, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, and then Tulane, uh, they, they, it was Tulane, East Carolina. Tulane's putting together a decent season, um, and yeah. East Carolina is not good. Uh, we, we already knew that, um, you know, same as we knew that there's a handful of teams that are also not very good in this conference. And again, that's kind of where we get smacked in the face with some of that respect stuff. But Right. Yeah, I, you know, watching a little bit of the highlights of, of all the games, I all I saw in that Tulane ECU game was big plays. So I am excited to come Friday night for some big plays. But top five around the country, there was really actually only one game that kind of spoiled, possibly spoiled the Bearcats' chances at a college football playoff invite. And that was the whale of a game that ended in something that will probably be talked about on all the – the sports talk shows this upcoming week. And that was the Clemson trip to South Bend at Notre Dame stadium. And Brian Kelly gets his first win against a top five team in the 47 to 40 victory for the Domers. And that game was actually a lot of fun to watch. Um, I personally didn't watch it until I rewatched it today because I was driving home from Cincinnati, but I listened to it, and it was the Notre Dame telecast, and I'm not going to lie. If you guys are Irish fans out there, I apologize, but I was frustrated to hear when they were not able to pull out that victory in double overtime with Clemson, that was. But then the rushing of the field brought up a whole different story, and it is just simply crazy. But now it just sets up the scenario. Notre Dame wins. If Notre Dame makes it to the ACC championship game and they lose to Clemson, what is the reason why you would not still include both Clemson and Notre Dame in the college football playoffs? I can't answer that question because it's maddening. However, the fact that Notre Dame beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, I feel like almost wasn't even considered in the voting. 
I don't know that I would have, in my voting, leapt Notre Dame over Clemson. They're playing without their star quarterback who's been there yeah. now for how many years? Three years, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what did you expect? Yes, you're but, a top five team, but you don't expect a true freshman to come in and take this team to pay dirt over Notre Dame when he wasn't the starter three weeks ago. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think it was actually the play of uh, DJ Ungulalele. DJ, DJ, DJ ukulele. Yeah. I, I think it was actually his play is the reason why Notre Dame hopped because I think a lot of people are now saying, you know what? DJ ukulele is actually probably one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And he, he played well. The, Clemson did not lose because of him. It's it, not a. It's, it's it not me trying to knock on the kid, really. Right. I no, mean, no, right. That's not it. It's the fact that you were not the starter three weeks yeah. ago. No, I agree. It has to go into consideration here. And I know that Notre Dame has this great following, which still just blows my mind. And it, I don't know. No, it's it's a mess. You're right. It is a mess. Um, wait, wait, let's unpack it. You're surprised there are a lot of Catholics in America? I didn't <laughs> want to say that. Um, I am one of them, I will admit. I know I'm not that. a huge Notre Dame fan. I just don't I just don't get the, the Notre Dame how Notre Dame has so many fans. They're the Catholic school in America. Of course they have that many fans. It doesn't yeah, make like like why why is Rudy one of the best sports movies in the world? Look, you know? look, look, look. I don't like it. Okay, I get you don't like it, but look, like Ohio State has a lot of fans that didn't go to oh, Ohio State. I don't like right? that either. I don't like that. Notre Dame has a lot of fans that didn't go to Notre Dame, but they're Catholic, so they feel like part of the damn team. It just yep. seems like a poor excuse to root for a team. Well, what about BYU? You don't like that they have a national following? No, I don't like that either. <laughs> I'm nothing if it's not consistent. That's fair. Well, All right. That's fine. So, so Notre Dame does have two tough road games back-to-back. Boston College, who almost pulled off an upset against Clemson, and then at North Carolina, who could really be spoiler to everyone's college football playoff dreams if they were to beat Notre Dame, thus setting up a situation where Clemson could beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship game thus leaving the Irish out or if the college football playoff committee is feeling cute, bringing in the two lost Irish to the table. But there's a lot to unravel, but it was obviously extremely unideal. There's that word again, that the Irish pulled out that victory in double overtime and then ran on the field. And it looked like the biggest celebration of 2020. Uh, They were celebrating COVID. (laughs) Who knew? But still, it's uh, you know that game will go a long way in deciding how everything plays out the rest of the way, and and it was a phenomenal game. So no knock on that, because we got a lot more to talk about. But that kind of muddied the waters a little bit for the Bearcats. But it's going to be something that we continue to watch because obviously Ohio State rolled that Florida Georgia game. Kind of was a little interesting because now Florida wins soundly and they're kind of in the situation that Georgia was in previously. And then Texas A&M completely dominates South Carolina. Now they hop up. 
as well. The SEC needs to figure each other out, but how people are saying, can a one-loss Texas A&M that does not even play in the SEC championship game have a shot at the college football playoffs? <laughs> simply just makes me want to bang my head against the wall. And, of course, Boise State loses to BYU without their starting quarterback and starting running back. And everyone acts like BYU beat the Boise State of 2010 or whenever they were really, really good. So um, that's that. It, it, you really saw the bias of the national media and Power Five play out after this week. Because now even, even my alma mater, Indiana University, is starting to get some looks to say, hey, I, you know what? If they lose to Ohio State by not a lot, maybe IU should get a little bit of consideration to the Final Four, which also just begs the expanded for just this one season. Please just expand it for one season. I know it's not going to happen, but if there was one season to do it, this would be that season because you don't know what the Pac-12 looks like against the Big Ten. You don't know what the SEC looks like against the Big 12. I, you know, please expand it. I mean, you saw baseball take a leap, and baseball is the last to ever make a leap on anything. Basketball kind of did too. They well, but baseball added the universal DH and they expanded yep. the playoffs and they did weird wonky things with the playoffs and they just did what they wanted to do for the first time in the history of ever and it probably drove the purists, the baseball purists, insane. Mm-hmm. But you know, right. they, they took a leap in 2020. Anything goes. It's fine. It's 2020. COVID crazy. But either way, that's that's how it is. And that leads us to Bearcats best bets because we could, could sit here and talk about the whole college football landscape for hours. But the college cartel. But but I don't think we are allotted that much time. Yes, the yes, that is correct. I don't want to say too much because I don't know who's listening. So aside from that, we'll first start with the game on Friday. Bearcats, I saw open up as a 26-point favorite. It's currently at 27.5. You know what? Hammer it. Oh. I don't think Vegas knows what to do with the Bearcats. I, Are you kidding me with the I line this past agree. week? I completely agree, and that's why I'm saying I don't think – I think I've seen East Carolina put up enough points this season covering them. Right? Yeah. Um, that I, I – this would be the first team to score more than two touchdowns since Austin P on us and the only offense to score more than two touchdowns if they were able to put up two touchdowns. Right. Right. That all said, man, I don't know that 20, I mean, 27 and a half is crazy. I don't know that I can hammer it. I think I'd play, <laughs> I think I'd play gingerly with my money taking the over, but I don't think I can hammer it. You know, so, so here's where I'm at with it. Last, last year they went to Gainesville, North Carolina, which I, I believe Chad's been there. He will tell you it's a beautiful city. And then they almost lost. Yeah, they had to get the hell out of there real quick. <laughs> the Pirates. It's, the Pir- it's, it's Greenville. Gainesville's in Florida. I didn't know. Well, that's what I said, man. Listen up. So anyway, Greenville, not, North it's Carolina. Not, it's, not, it's not a great place. It's, <laughs> oh, it's he's, horrible. He's still doing the whole mundane Luke Fickle thing. It's not a great place. It's horrible. It's, it's it, yeah. It's actually a uh, very bad place, and and I heard that the closest airport is like two hours away or something like that. And you got to hightail from the airport to get there. So uh, that one's always fun to go to if you want Greenville, North Carolina. Thank you for that, Chad. But 
you know, so so they kind of are aware of knowing what what might be thrown at them. And then on top of it, you fall in the polls after beating three straight teams that are decent, that are, are better than average in the AAC and in the country. And you slide in the polls after numerous teams ahead of you lost. I think you, you add all of that in for the first time. Coach Fickle has real bulletin board material to use. So um, I would be happy with a 42 to nothing win or a 56 to seven win. Um, I, uh, every, all of Bearcat nation would be happy with that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we'll see what the line does from here on out, but I think that's one that you, you shouldn't look at and be too afraid of the, uh, of, of the awkward number you see there because you see similar numbers when Clemson and Notre Dame and those other high teams play the somewhat non great squads. And I don't know. So either way on Saturday throughout the AAC, I don't really see too much other than possibly that SMU Tulsa game. Ooh, that's what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Right now Tulsa is favored by two. Okay. Two points. I say hammer SMU. You take yeah. SMU. Take them right now and run with it. Two points? You kidding me? I don't think Tulsa's Tulsa's a little overrated right now at this point. Well, it would behoove Cincinnati if they were ranked right. at the end of the season when we played them. I don't think they're going to stop Shane Buchel and them boys. I agree. I'm I'm not sold I, on Tulsa. Not sold. I I have a question. Yes. What do you think carries more weight playing a ranked Tulsa on December 5th or playing a ranked SMU for the AAC title on December 19th? Because make no mistake here, if SMU loses to Tulsa, that's it for SMU being ranked. If Tulsa beats SMU, it's a maybe that we see Tulsa in the polls. I still, like I said, I think SMU is going to win this game. Um, and I, I think that that's, again, if, if we're looking at just the regular season, it looks mm-hmm. better regular season if we play a ranked Tulsa team. But yeah, if you bring up that question, sure, it looks better if we're beating a ranked SMU in the American. SMU's got nothing left, right? After Tulsa? In uh, terms of who can beat them? They welcome Houston, but I don't see that being anything. Yeah. So, I mean, that like, SMU's already played the, the the meat of their AAC schedule, and their only loss so far is to Cincinnati. I yep. think the bigger the bigger advantage here is playing SMU ranked yep. in Nippert Stadium for the AAC championship. That remember that is the lasting image before they decide who makes the playoff. So if you win out, you beat UCF, you beat Tulsa, yeah, you're you're gonna get some juice off of that, and then you go into the AAC title game with, if SMU keeps if SMU wins out, what are they at nineteen? Yes, I think they end up top fifteen if they win out, probably. See, and yeah. this is why he's always listening, ready to call you out when you think you're being ratioed for no reason ready to call you <laughs> no, out no, no, no. when you that wasn't... delete your tweets for no reason <laughs> I, do, I do do those things but but that wasn't calling anybody out that's presenting <clears throat> i get looking at tulsa you know because that could get them ranked 
Yeah. But I just wonder the ramifications of that long term. That's why I wanted to, to ask the question. That the, wasn't the, specifically calling anyone out. You'll joke, know if I call you out. The joke was not me being called out for being ratioed. It was the <laughs> joke of someone on Twitter being real upset that he was being ratioed. But that's he was, he was he, he's, I mean, you say stupid shit. You win stupid prizes. Sorry, Dan. But no, I no, I agree. So the fact of the matter is this. When you set up that scenario, it's going to be on ABC again. It's going to be a, a, a talked about game. And the storylines will then be this. It'll be SMU. If they win, they get that New Year's Six Bowl. SMU, all of a sudden, their one loss is to Cincinnati. Tulsa, that game against Cincinnati has extra talk because then it'll be Tulsa's only two losses on the season are to SMU and Oklahoma State. So that makes that Tulsa game a lot more important as well because SMU won't have a game that weekend. They'll already be etched in to the AAC championship game. So, yes, I am all aboard what you're saying there, Chad, which is why I think definitely that SMU will be Tulsa because I – other than Zayvon Collins, I am not sold on Tulsa as a whole. And um, here we I, are, here we are talking about the end of the season without even talking about UCF, which looms in between this yep. ECU game and what's to come at the end of the season. Right. Where we're, which, by the way, by ESPN only projected as thirty-three percent to win that game. Winning that game, yeah, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But yeah, so I back to the Bearcats best bets. Yes, SMU. And then in the top ten, Aaron, because Aaron, oh man, we're gonna we're gonna go on and on about that UCF. Everything's game. gone off the rails at this point. <laughs> we're good. We're good. I in the top ten, the one game that I look at and I I sadly think I'm going to put some money on would be Notre Dame at Boston College. I think they, there's no chance they have a letdown game. I think that they are able to cover that. I'm seeing that it at thirteen. I think that they are seeing that they need to continue to make statements. I think they will beat Boston College at Boston College by more than 13. Well, I'd love to see Boston College play spoilers there, as they Same. they almost did earlier this season with uh, Clemson. Uh, Clemson. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. I don't know. Um, I'm looking at that Indiana game. Right. As Indiana is going to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. I still don't believe in Michigan State, and they burned me bad last time. So, I'm going to take your, your home state – of Indiana and the uh, current nine and a half point spread. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to take that spread as, as not enough for Indiana to, uh, to win this game against Michigan state. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Indiana is looking like a pretty good team, which is not, not something you can say too often. And if you remember real quick and hopefully everything is back to normal when next year comes around, but the Cincinnati Bearcats head to Bloomington to face the Indiana Hoosiers next season. So that is something to get excited about, and that is something that we can look look at in the future. And don't get me wrong, that Wisconsin-Michigan, one-and-a-half-point favorite Wisconsin Badgers over Michigan, that was looking pretty interesting as well. Right, and and if you don't know the name Michael Penix Jr., get to know the name Michael Penix Jr., he is a big-time, big-time player at the quarterback position, only a sophomore for the Hoosiers. But, Aaron, it is time for us to move on to what has growingly been one of the biggest, and, you know, we, we'll try and get some basketball talk in at the very end, but we kind of run long on this one. 
but one, the biggest storyline of the week outside of the, the demolition of Houston was what this recruiting class of the class of 2022 and 2021, it just the entire staff has been able to do with these commitments. It's, it's simply amazing. We talked about Bobo a little bit last week, kind of saying the Moo Moo Bobo. Now the Moo Moo Bobo is for sure happening. It took place on Monday with the commitment of Randy Bobo Masters, the four-star wide receiver out of Texas who flipped from Baylor to the Bearcats, which is unheard of. Then Melvin Jordan becomes the highest rated defensive commit in program history out of Florida. And, and the craziest thing about his commitment, and we're going to you know kind of break down all of these a little bit more, is that this is what Jordan says. He said that my relationship with Coach Fickle and Coach Bowden, the, the recruiting coordinator, started about a week ago. I just feel they are genuine people, and the love is real, and I, it will continue even after I committed. So that is an interesting thing, but <laughs> so, I mean, that's crazy. A week oh, ago, insane. insane. A week ago, right? Two guys who it didn't start just a week ago was both Zaquie Zaquai Lawton, who committed on Saturday, and of course Isaiah Cox, who also committed this morning. And Cox, a fun fact about him, he is the cousin of Randall Cobb. Another fan fact, fun fact about Isaac Cox is that he was offered a year ago yesterday. And so uh, kind of kind of cool timing on that commitment as well. But now you're looking at this team riding the momentum of what they are putting on the field and adding it to recruiting, and they're clicking on all cylinders. So do you think you're gonna, we're going to see any more of the Savage 7? I have to ask. You know, I think yes. I, I think that the Savage 7 doesn't stop with just Moo Moo, Bobo, and Melvin. I think that it will I, – I mean, obviously, you, you listened to all three of them, and it sounds like the recruitment literally just started. And it kind of started with Moo Moo being the lead recruiter for each of the others. But, you know, I, I just can't think of a, of a situation where they all had a talk with each other about playing at the same college at the next level. And then all of a sudden, only three of the seven decide to make the move. I do think, and and I don't know, you know, and this is no insider knowledge coming from from here, but the way that those four kind of th- those three happened, it's it's hard to imagine that it's just going to stop there. It's just kind of come out of nowhere, where yeah. none of these guys were really being talked about a month ago, right? And here we are with three of this savage seven as this all kind of is starting to resemble a little bit and it's maybe a stretch but uh when lebron Dwayne wade chris bosh were talking at the all-star game or or in the uh, olympics and they're like oh let's go do this in a couple yeah. of years guys and here they are doing the damn thing or how about the you know the fab five at michigan as well but yeah. you, you know my point of view on it is okay so you have mumu kind of being the the trailblazer for for the Savage 7 to hashtag be different. <laughs> exactly, to be different and and come to Cincinnati. But then after that, after you're opening up the door for all of these players to get introduced to Cincinnati, then you throw in some of the best recruiters out there. You know, you're looking at the recruiting classes that that Cincinnati has been able to put together and it's not like like these coaches don't know how to recruit and they need the help of, right. of Moo and, and other players to, to get these players to join. 
I think once the door is opened up and the targets are are aligned with these other players, I think it's kind of time to just lock them down. And and when you have Chad Bowden, who's really really been phenomenal as a recruiting coordinator, along with Luke Fickle, who's who's shown that you can win big at a program like Cincinnati, and then Marcus Freeman for however long he's here, it really adds in. And then Perry Eliano is doing a great job. Greg Scruggs was was the lead guy to get Zaquie Lawton to commit. You know, this is a stat. Once you are able to kind of introduce the players to them, the players then fall in love with the stat. So I don't think this is the end. I think it's the start of a continuous, amazing class that has been put together the last few years and now leading into 2022. Here's what's different. 2021. Three-star, high three-star defensive end. From right. West Virginia, from West Virginia, yeah. mm-hmm. Oregon interest, NC State interest, a lot of Power Five programs really had high interest in Z. Right, a three-star safety from Tennessee, yep. who the staff and I've shared this on the board. The staff had as their highest-rated defensive back on the board for 2021. It's been that way for a long time. Oh, we've been, I've been talking about Isaiah Cox for months. Yep. Now it. It felt like for a long time that UC didn't have a shot at him. But then you start putting on TV what we've seen on TV these past couple weeks, and kids are going, I I want to play defense there. Right? I get to run around. I get to play fast. I get to lay the wood on people. There's going to be opportunity for turnovers. Like, so West Virginia and Tennessee added in 2021. And then in 2022, in the past 10, 12 days, whatever it is, Georgia, Florida, Texas. Outside of Ohio, the three biggest recruiting hotbeds in the country. Yep. Flipped one from Florida State, flipped one from Baylor. Mm-hmm. We've, not, I mean, it's unlike anything we've ever seen here. This is not dipping into Florida for an under-the-radar kid. This is not going and getting sauce from Michigan just because people thought he was too skinny, even though the tape showed an elite coverage corner. This is a whole different animal of recruiting, and we're still going to see a pretty strong Ohio base to everything going forward. Right. But UC's entering the national conversation on recruits which means you're not limited to just the top 50 kids in Ohio, right? Like if, and Luke built it here the way he built it for a reason, because he knew that was what you attack first. Right. But 15 kids from Ohio that are in the top 50 is is a very good way to, to build a foundation. Yeah. But if you can sprinkle in four stars from Georgia and Texas and Florida and, you know, West Virginia and Tennessee, those are three-star kids. But if you start enhancing what you're doing in Ohio with what we're seeing from around the nation, now you're talking about a completely different ball game uh, in the, the ultimate ceiling for this program. Cause the floor is already very high, right? We know where the floor is. It is now, now we're starting to see some push on that ceiling and, uh, it's momentum unlike anything I've ever seen. I've been doing this for 14 years. Yeah. 
and I and I've never even remotely seen anything like it, even dating back to to Brian Kelly's years. You know, and and here's the thing. Also, you look at the fact that what Todd Blackledge said in in the broadcast, which is another thing that was texted to me, was that you know when Ohio State hired Urban Meyer that's when they kind of dipped away from just focusing so much on the Midwest and in Ohio, mainly in recruiting. So they went a little bit more national, you know, down South and things of that sort. And that's what kind of opened up the door for then Cincinnati to start to recruit a little bit more inside of the state and whatnot. And now you're seeing kind of the same thing. Once you control the state and build the relationships within Ohio and this in the state of Cincinnati, you're able then to expand with, with the other coaches that you're able to bring in on staff down to these other regions and, and go in and pick up these players and use your momentum in a positive way. And as you mentioned, Chad, you, you're still getting these, these under-the-radar type players like a Miles Montgomery who played two games in one week this past week. And in, the, in game one on Monday, had 146 rushing yards and four touchdowns. In game two on Friday, had 175 rushing yards and three touchdowns. You know, and he's kind of, he was a very under-the-radar type player when he committed to the Bearcats, and he has had a great season. You see Caleb Smith, who, again, had another great, great game. You know, they're, they're still being able to go outside of the state of Cincinnati and pick up these under-the-radar kids, but now you're throwing in the kids like Mumu, Melvin, Bobo, Zaqui, and Isaiah Cox, who all those committing in, in a two-week period would make any program happy, any Power 5 program. I, it, it's just – it is crazy to see this forward momentum. And with the commitment that Coach Fickle has made up to this point and, and, has, and seems like it will be continued to be committed, I don't see it slowing down. It, you know, I don't see there really being any reason for it to have too many hitches and it should just continue to roll through. And it's awesome to see them be able to put together what they have. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think that puts us now up nationally to the 43rd overall draft class, not draft class. I'm sorry, but a recruitment class <laughs> draft class. That would make Todd Mache pretty happy. Yeah. But. <laughs> uh, that guy. Ugh. Yeah. I think it's uh let's see here. They've got us at, 43rd and number one in the AAC. So, and you know, I mean, just consider that that's against all of the Power Five conferences, all of them, and all of them have 10 plus teams. And so here we are sneaking in, being ranked over Power Five teams. Yep. I mean, there's a reason why we're ranked. <laughs> huh. Well, I think it's going to continue. I think that that also needs to be that needs to be explained first. You know, the the high level recruits coming in needs to be explained first when it comes to college football, rather than who is on the draft board top two hundred for the for the upcoming NFL draft. I so, yeah, you know, that's just simply where it is in my eyes, and you know, it's just awesome to see all this happening. And like I said, I don't. I don't see it having you know ending anytime soon, Chad. I think you've gotten your fill on cookies for the past couple of weeks. I've drank enough milk that it is squirting out of my eyeballs, but it yeah. is uh, things are heading in the perfect right direction. Uh, anything more on the recruiting front before we just close up with basketball real fast? Let's talk hoops. All right, 
real quick, seems like a couple of schedule things are starting to get pinned down. Tennessee came out with their schedule. It did have the Bearcats on the schedule Saturday, December 12th, down in volunteer land. And then, of course, the Xavier game pinpointed down for 12-6, December 6th. The NTE got a little bit more talk. Uh, that's an on and off again thing. It's starting to seem like Loyola Chicago. And now Duquesne is added to the mix with a fourth team yet to be determined. We did see Dayton as well as Ohio State fall out of their MTEs, preseason, their early season MTEs. I'm not saying that there is any smoke there or anything. I'm just throwing out local teams that do not have their MTEs anymore due to pulling out of traveling to places that they do not deem necessary due to COVID. So snatch them uh, both up, add Xavier, and let's beat Xavier twice this year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now that's a lot of cheese conies. But, and then also we saw the no fans at Fifth Third Arena also tossed into the mix. And that's, but that's not for the full season. That They're just saying no season tickets. Um, that's something that could be, looked at further as things continue to develop. But, you know, it's just crazy to see college college basketball right around the corner. You know, we don't have the definitive schedule because it's, it has not been finalized. So, you know, they have not really released anything, the staff and the program. But, you know, you did see Keith Williams post on social media saying the last dance begins on the 25th. So it kind of makes you think maybe they will have a game slotted that day. Nothing definite as of now, but either way, excitement is brewing and basketball hopefully getting underway very soon. Has Zach Harvey practiced yet? Yeah, you know, another question that I simply cannot answer. Uh, but did you see the picture of Mr. Victor Locken <laughs> with his with his wallet in his sock? Has it in his sock? He, and and you know what? You can already tell he's got a lot of humor. Both, you know, the Matson twins were kind of badgering him a little bit about great placement of the card in the sock and different things along those lines. So it, it seemed as if he's already getting the camaraderie going with the team, but he did have a big old leg brace on as well. So it seems like that one might be a little while until we get to see uh, from Russia with love out on the court for the Bearcats. But, you know, the, the excitement's brewing. We're going to have hopefully that that combined crossover between the, the VVP and the BCJ pod and, and kind of break down basketball, top to bottom, what we think, this, that, and the other. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what uh, year number two under John Brandon has. I'm ready to see what year number one in basketball the Bearcat Bounce podcast has. Ooh, ooh, me too. Me Five. too. I, and, you know, another crazy thing to think about is you look at it, the newly renovated Fifth Third Arena. The Bearcats had to play down at NKU a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Now this might be another season without any fans at Fifth Third Arena. Mm-hmm. Got to feel for the fans. But if the product itself out on the court makes you forget about not being there in person, mm-hmm. I think everyone will be pretty happy. I concur, and I'm looking forward actually to uh, that ESPN Plus subscription paying off in dividends. <laughs> let's hope. Let's hope a lot more on the major networks, right? I'm looking forward to Aaron not coming up at the end of a game while I'm trying to get work done and wanting to talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the drinks. It's fine. 
It's Mad Tree's you fault. You didn't you didn't think I was gonna never call you out for that, did you? It's, it's, it's Mad Tree's fault. It's fine. <laughs> for the for to, to fill in the backstory here. Uh Aaron, as he was exiting the arena, uh most of the times that he would come to the game, would stop by and say hi to Justin and I, Williams. The problem with that being it was usually with like 90 seconds left in the game when we have the majority <laughs> of our work to do. And you know, we're not gonna be gonna be rude, but mm-hmm. Aaron had probably been uh I wouldn't say underserved and I wouldn't say overserved, but probably right at the, the right. right at the tipping point of properly served, which makes you a little chatty. Yeah. <laughs> And as you can tell from this podcast, you guys are almost, you know, headed towards two hours here. He, he can be a little chatty. So, you know, we didn't want to tell him to get lost, but we were trying to work. Didn't not want to tell me to get lost either. It's fine. <laughs> but I mean, now, now I got, I got a chance to give him a hard time about it. That's, that's what having a platform is all about. <laughs> I've, I've been told much worse. <laughs> yeah, if I wanted to insult you, I would have insulted you. I don't get that. <laughs> Gosh. Well, that was that was me. That was me flashing the wrap it up box. By the way, there you go. Okay, I, I like hook that already. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, you, you know what? We we went over, but man, I to be honest, I can keep talking for like two more hours. But hey, there was a lot that happened, a lot that's going to happen, and a lot more that that we're going to be able to talk about in the upcoming weeks, especially uh, as the seasons dwindle down in college football, leads into college basketball. So anything before we close it out, Mr. Aaron, Mr. Mr. Chad. I'm all the way good. Uh, we, we, we are planning a special guest Wednesday night for the BCJ pod looking to be joined for the first time by Mark Porter of 24 seven sports who runs scouting. Ohio has been, uh, a monster in the recruiting industry in the state of Ohio for a long time. Okay. He is kind of sliding in, um, in the role that Bill Green used to have. Mm-hmm. So this will be his introduction to Bearcat Journal. And we will be talking about all of the 2021 uh, Ohio recruits okay. that he has uh, scouted over the years. And maybe even hit on you know a few of the guys on the roster that we haven't seen a lot of yet. Right. Uh, the younger guys and, and get his opinion on what they will look like. It, it should be, we're, I mean, we're not going to spend that Houston game does not deserve a whole lot of time spent in terms of yeah. uh, you guys, I think hit it for like 45 minutes. I think that is uh, over two podcasts, 45 minutes sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we probably won't hit on, on Houston all that much. We let that, uh, you know, be said by you guys. We'll have Mark Porter, and then Dave is dropping some uh, some quality stats on Twitter tonight that I'm sure we will we will hit on. How about the Bearcats are second nationally in scoring margin, oh. 26.2 points per game, which would be even worse or better, depending on how you look at it, if they didn't put in their third and fourth string uh, against Austin P. Yep. Uh, Jared Dokes and Desmond Ritter have combined for 17 non-passing touchdowns. Alabama and BYU are the only other two teams with two players in the top 20 of touchdowns. Hmm. And Bearcats scoring offense, 2019, 29.6 points per game 
good for 60th in the country. That's Ooh. not good. No. 2020, nope. 39.3 points per game, good for 16th. All right. That's a that's that's Much a improved. that's a and then one more. The Black Cats have given up six touchdowns in six games. No one who has played six games or more has allowed fewer. I love him so much. Who, Dave? You love Dave so much? No, the Black Cats. Oh, okay. Take your pick. It's fine. Either way. <laughs> just, be drunk or, just be drunk or more at Dave After Dark. Yeah, yeah, you haven't met Dave. Dave's a treat. <laughs> I don't doubt that. Dave is an absolute treat. Yeah, that's all I got. Well, hey. Accelerated week because of the Friday game. Yeah. So, uh, which are we going to do Saturday or Sunday then? When should people look for us? Keep it rolling with Sunday, probably. All right. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to let everything play out and then to get get a day to digest. Heard yeah. it here first. Because I mean, that's around wrong. the country stuff. The Bengals will be playing Sunday, so a, a Sunday morning podcast isn't going to bring you a whole lot. You might pick up some inebriated listeners on Saturday night when we post it. Yeah, who knows? But Sunday works. Cool. Yeah. We, we've set Sunday, so Sunday will be good. All right. Get, it, get us out of here. Well, real quick, wrap it up. And yet again, for uh, – my podcast partner, good buddy, Aaron Smith, for our daddy, Chad Brendel, and Brent Young. Thanks again for hopping on the BBP until uh, after Friday, coming on to Sunday. Uh, check out Bearcat Journal for everything come leading up to that ECU game and hopefully a lot more juicy things for basketball coming up this week. And again, the BBP on BCJ. Thank you very much. Have a great week, guys. See you.